Welcome to the City Rev Life Podcast. My name is Justin. I'm sitting here with Pastor Roby. Hey. Doing? Hey, what's up? You doing all right? I'm good. I'm good. All right, cool. Well, hey, we're excited to dig into really a one-off episode. Yeah. And we're going to be addressing a topic uh, we recently referenced in a message. Well, we thought we'd mm -hmm. take some extended time and dive a little deeper. So why don't you kind of set us up what we're, what our conversation is about today? Yeah, so um, we were looking at the introduction to the book of James, um, James chapter 1, verse 1. And in it, James says that he is a servant of Jesus. And the word there in the Greek is the word doulos, mm -hmm. which is very common in the New Testament. That word is over 180 times in the New Testament in all different contexts contexts sure. and some very important contexts, but it is a very difficult word to translate into English. Yeah. In fact, so difficult that in one translation, the ESV English Standard Version, a version we use at CityRev, um, one of many great ones, the preface, it identifies, I think it's like five words in the entire Bible right. out of the Greek and Hebrew that yeah. are particularly challenging to uh, translate. And the word doulos is one of them. And the reason it is, is because it could be translated doulos as servant, as bondservant, or as slave. And so there, because we as uh, moderns, when we see the word slave, we have a lot that we associate with the word slavery. Sure. And so as we're reading through the Bible and we come across a word that's translated slave, we are immediately bringing our context into that. And sometimes then it's surprising how the Bible approaches slavery. Yeah. And so because that's so common and some very significant parts of the Bible, yeah, it's, it's important for us to unpack that Greek word and what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So because this is used and in the case of James one, one, as it is used in several other parts of the new Testament, James is identifying Doulos as a part of his identity as right. a follower of Christ and right. as a leader in the church. He is a doulos of Christ. So if we're following Jesus, it's important for us to get a grasp around this word, not just so that our Greek vocabulary is on par, uh, right. but so that we understand what's meant by that. And the other thing, just in hearing you talk about that, I think the errors we want to avoid are either, you know, with the idea of servant, if it's translated servant, yeah. the trouble with that is... Um, I think you've mentioned before, it's like, oh, we're like butlers for yeah, Jesus. Exactly. We're like Jesus's butler. We're <laughs> right. Alfred. Yeah. You know, anything you need, Master Wayne. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's not what's meant by that right. word. And then when we hear the word slave, we, like you said, import our modern, what we understand to be slavery in modern times. And then in North America in particular with the yes. transatlantic slave trade, we associate yes. those images. And so it's kind of like s servant and slave are, are loaded with images Yes. that aren't helpful in terms of how we understand doulos. Exactly. And so, and that is the, the Greek word we're working with here. Um, there's an obviously another Hebrew word that is translated slave. We're going to be mainly focusing on the Greek word slave, which is the word doulos. It's where the modern term doula, like a, that uh, it's kind of like a midwife that helps someone through, helps a woman through pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it appears, it comes across in the Bible multiple times and it can be troubling if we don't have a, a historic view of what a doulos was. So for example, there the, the Mosaic law talks about slaves. Um, several of the Old Testament kings talks about having slaves, like Solomon, for mm -hmm. example. 
um, the, in the New Testament, we are referred to, like you said, uh, James and others, James, Paul, Jude, John, all refer to themselves as a doulos of Jesus and talk about Christ followers being a doulos of Jesus. Uh, um, one very, very important book on this subject is the book of Philemon, mm -hmm. where Paul is writing to his friend Philemon, who is a wealthy um, man in a probably Colossae or somewhere near there. And Paul has come across one of his uh, doulos, and, mm. a, and, and he appears to have run away from Philemon. So what does Paul do? He actually sends Onesimus, this runaway doulos, back to Philemon. Well, that's a little bit troubling. Yeah, if he's run away. Yeah. Why not Paul help Onesimus escape? Um, and then there's, at times in the New Testament, especially in Ephesians, where there's instructions to various relationships within the household, and one of the instructions is between a master and a doulos. It, mm -hmm. it, it instructs doulos to act this way, and it instructs masters on how to treat their douloi. Well, why doesn't he just say, free all of your douloi? Like why? And so we are troubled by that. And part of it is because it makes us ask these questions. Maybe the Bible promotes oppressive systems. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Bible is archaic. And um, part of the tr part of the trouble is in American history, in mm -hmm. particular, and also British history, the Bible was erroneously, wrongly used to promote and endorse the horrible, dehumanizing, satanic atrocity that was the transatlantic slave trade. A and also in modern history, with very modern times, with different forms of trafficking, it yep. is wicked, satanic, should be outright opposed by anyone who is wanting to bring about the kingdom of God, any Christian. We would, of course, oppose something so wicked. So why does the Bible treat this doulos concept differently than we would approach slavery. Yeah. So it, it this should, you know, hopefully as we've started this conversation, it should be hopefully getting your brain, it's getting my brain thinking, okay, well, what is behind this uh, word? What did that look like in ancient times? Yes. And I think the helpful category to think through as we start to answer that question is, what is the difference between something that is descriptive versus something that is prescriptive when it comes to uh, interpreting the Bible or coming across any other text. Yeah, I think that's one. I think the answer is twofold, like you said. One part is there are times that the Bible is describing what happened, not prescri not prescribing what happens. It's saying this is what happens. It's not saying this should happen. Right. One a, a different example of that is many of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. They had uh, they were polygamists. They had multiple wives. The Bible is not endorsing that. It's just saying that's what they chose to do. And then the Bible lets the story play out, and that every single time brings so much hurt and destruction mm -hmm. into that family. And so you see by how the Bible describes what happens in these polygamous uh, relationships that the Bible is anything but prescribing. It's not saying you should do it, or it's right. not saying it's allowed. It's saying, no, look at what happens when you do this. So yeah. in the same way, there are times that the Bible will say Solomon had slaves. It's not saying that that's good. 
It's, it's just being honest. Solomon did a lot of things that weren't good. <laughs> he did a lot of things. And the Bible describes those. Right. If anything, the Bible is describing there are human beings. We are all flawed and there's only one that was perfect and that is Jesus. And so um, that's one part of it. Be, be a watchful for at times when the Bible is describing something, not prescribing something. The second thing is, like you said, the Bible is describing a different system mm-hmm. in ancient times. The doulos system is a different system than modern trafficking, and it's a different system than the transatlantic slave trade, which was deplorable, unbiblical, ungodly, and um, uh, horrific. And it's describing something completely different. And so the the and I think we should expect that when we go into the Bible. Right. And I think what's also important to note is this isn't unique to the Bible. This was true of all ancient civilizations had yes. some form of slavery. Um, I mean, it's not just that, oh, we're zooming in on one culture and civilization among many, and this is the only one. The Bible's right. the only one. This is ancient times. It's, it's like this is the air they were breathing and the water they swam in. Not to say it was a good thing, Yeah. Um, not to endorse it at all. This is just the nature of fallen humanity trying to figure out imperfect, flawed human solutions to deep problems. Yes, and I think what we'll see is the Bible is, is not endorsing this system, uh, the doulos system, the ancient system. But anytime you approach an ancient text, we have to go in expecting we're going to find a different context. Yeah. Um, you, you were giving the example earlier to me, Justin, about, you know, if you're, when we read that Mary was betrothed. Yeah. The Christmas story. The Christmas story. Mary yeah. is betrothed to Joseph. We don't use that word anymore. Right. And the betrothal system in antiquity in that time is different than our, right. It's like a pledge that your parents arrange. Right. Right. And it's not quite engagement, but it's not quite marriage. Yeah. It's kind of like a fusion of the two. Right. So we come to an ancient text and we read, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. We come to that text and saying, okay, we have, we have some history work to yeah. do, to learn, we're, to appreciate that. We're not, yeah, we're not expecting that Mary, Joseph took Mary to the spot of their first date, got down of a knee and gave her a diamond ring. You know, yeah. like we know that that's probably not what happened. And so we instinctively know that we've got to do some historical work. The same is true when we're coming to this idea of what is a doulos? When the Bible's approaching slavery, um, what, what is it? And, and here's the term, and I think this is helpful to think about when you're approaching a historical text like the Bible. The term is anachronism. We've got to be careful not to, not to think anachronistically um, when we're approaching the Bible. What do we mean by anachronism? Anachronism is, in its purest sense, something that is chronologically out of place. So, for example, if you're watching a movie that mm-hmm. is a World War II uh, period piece, and everyone's, they have all the World War II era cars sure. and all the, the clothing and the food, and they're using that kind of language and dialect. And you see a group of soldiers, and they're drinking Coca-Cola, and all of them have a Coca-Cola, and one of them has a Coke Zero you would immediately know that Coke Zero is out of place. That didn't exist. I would think, I didn't know Roby was in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's your drink of choice. I was there, <laughs> exactly. Um, no, that you would know that is out of place. That doesn't belong in that era. And so in the same way, what we tend to do when we see slavery is we're importing a new world, modern, or something from our history into that time period. That is anachronism. 
Um, and, and when you do that historically, it gets us into trouble. A couple examples. Um, the, the Puritans in that time period, they talk about how mm. awe-striking God is. And it would not be uncommon to come across an, ancient, an old Puritan who wrote, God is so awful. <laughs> that just sounds scandalous <laughs> no, to say right now. terrible. But like that in that time period, we would, say, we would instinctively say, okay, wait a minute. Obviously, they use the word awful differently. And they did. It meant, actually, it makes more sense the way they use it, right. the way we use we it. We use awesome. We yeah. use awesome. They would say it's full of awe. And so that meant a positive thing. They are I'm going to vote we go awe. back to that. I think we should. It's like, God is not awesome. He's <laughs> awful. <laughs> that's full. That's you know, right. He's full of awe. Anyway. That's right. So there's many different ways we, we have to be careful of anachronism. You can't. You can't read your culture, your time. Uh, we can't read that backwards. So with that said, let's just jump right into the, to the context. And, and, and first of all, I think it's important to go straight to what would the Bible, had yeah. any part of it been written during the transatlantic slave trade era, what would the Bible and what does the Bible speak into that particular setting? Yeah. And so with that, the Bible is very clear. What would, what does the Bible say about that type, whether modern trafficking or the transatlantic slave trade, what does the Bible say about that system? It's really clear. Exodus 21, 16. Let me read it. Whoever steals a man and sells him and hmm. anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death man stealing yeah selling or purchasing a, a that type of slave is a capital offense deserving of death i mean it could not be more clear what that that era of yeah. the slavery we think of the bible is categorically opposed to as an abomination before God. You know, that reminds me of um, a few years back, I was in DC uh, at the Museum of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Really awesome. You said you've been there before as yes, well. Yes, awesome. There's an exhibit um, called the Slave Bible Exhibit. And and uh, right there you can find they have an actual, there's only three copies still left in existence that we know of, of something called the Slave Bible. And the Slave Bible was published in the early 1800s to try and introduce the Christian faith to Negro slaves. And the catch was they removed, uh, conveniently for the masters, removed certain sections of the Bible mm -hmm. so as to not encourage freedom, liberation, or the message that um, you know comes from God's word that would inspire them right. for their human right and dignity. And ironically, you, know, you just mentioned Exodus 21, um, one of the passages that's completely cut out of that Bible, and you can see it there, you see where the, the, the story ends and then picks up much later in the Bible, is they've removed the entire Exodus story. Hmm. So they've removed it. And so what we have in Scripture in the book of Exodus, for example, is an example of God's posture towards an evil empire that enslaved yeah. a group of people. And what did God do? Well, it's one of the most graphic uh, judgments on yeah. a nation in the Bible, uh, the, what the Lord did to the Egyptians who were uh, oppressively enslaving uh, and abusing the Hebrew people. Yeah. And so we have a clear picture there. And so the Bible is direct and outright yes. when it comes to that type 
Um, so t- talk to me a little more about ancient doulas. Or- yeah, I think, yes, let's jump into that. But I do think that is a really good point, Justin, because um, you, if, if you have to cut large sections and it wasn't just the book of Exodus, it was it others. It was like, like Galatians. Yes. Um, talks about there is neither Jew nor Greek, uh, male nor female, slave nor free. It's talking about the equality. We're we all, all one have in Christ. One in Christ. So if you have to redact massive portions of the Bible in order to uphold your system. your system, obviously the Bible is deeply opposed to it. And yeah. so just for absolute clarity, before we go any further, the Bible, if there's any narrative out there that says the Bible would support something as oppressive as the transatlantic slave trade or tra- modern trafficking, that is just a false narrative. The Bible categorically opposes that as, as abomination. So with that said, um, let's jump into what is the ancient doulos. It is a very, it's a different system than what we think of when we think of the word slave as moderns. It is a different system, much, much broader. It's not as narrow of a system as maybe the transatlantic slave trade. It's much broader. And before we go any further, we're not endorsing this system. This wasn't a good system, but it is very different. And so just to give kind of some context, some cultures, when they would conquer a people group, they would execute everyone they conquered because they're trying to keep peace in their expanding kingdom. Don't want an uprising. They don't want an uprising. Others would put the everyone they conquered to a slave labor to a degree where it was kind of a social death. They had no more identity. That would yeah. be kind of what Pharaoh did to, to the, the to the Hebrews. people. Yeah, the Hebrews, the people of Israel. The Greco-Romans did something different, um, better than those two things, but still not great. But they did have a doulos system. This was, again, wide. We're covering a wide swath of history. So it's nuanced from generation to generation and in different parts of the world. And you can find some really horrific examples and in there and you find some less horrific examples, but it is not a confined narrow system and it's it's a very broad system. But here are some some descriptions of the doulas. First of all, it's important to note it was not ethnically or a racially driven. It was all different types of people with all different ethnic backgrounds. This was not chiefly a racial um, a racial system. The second thing that it's important to note is that a doulos, there was a wide, wide range of ethnic and economic persons um, that would carry that title of doulos. So wide range economically. Yes, there were some prisoners. Um, there were some um, prisoners of war or just uh, people who were um, lower class. There were some that were that were working like a uh, in the field doing hard labor, but you had all the way to the top, you had people that were in civic leadership. You had people that were managing households. They were personal assistants, accountants, educators, sea captains, um, physicians, doctors, all different types of roles. Someone could be uh, as a doulos. In fact, some douloi 
had someone who some individuals who carried the title of doulas had much more power than many freed people that probably the doulas would not be the lowest segment of the society in the Greco-Roman times. It's actually the freed person that didn't have consistent work. And so because mm. of that, it was um, uh, it was not at all uncommon for that kind of bottom rung free person to um, look for opportunity. Exactly. To become a doulas. Exactly. And to put themselves in that position as a doulas to have stable, steady work, become part of the household of a wealthy family, get the benefits, some of the benefits of being in that family, and then um, climb the ladder socially. The uh, doulas were educated. It was encouraged and thought a positive thing for households to educate their doulas, their douloi. That would be an advantage to them. And so it was not uncommon for some of the douloi in a household to be more educated than the members of that household because mm. they were running the 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 uh, estate or they were a physician or a doctor or educating the rest of the family and so someone could put themselves in uh, to be a a doulo a doulos in order to get education a doulos could own uh, in the greco-roman context a doulos could own property and they could uh, save up money. And so because of that, actually Cicero, the the Roman governor, uh, statesman from the first century BC, he recorded that a slave could usually, a doulos, could usually expect to be freed within seven years. And there were some Roman laws that said that a person could be freed by the age of 30. Some of them could be freed by the age of 30. That was usually the case. So the expectation would be often they are saving money, purchasing their own freedom, and that has, uh, in, in for some, that was a positive situation. Another example to kind of separate would be uh, someone who actually did do very well was a, a guy by the name of um, the governor, Marcus Antonius Felix. He's referenced in Acts. He's mm. a historic Roman a governor who was actually a freed doulos. He was a, a doulos of a of a royal family. They freed him, and he was became a, a Roman governor. So we're just we're talking about a very very different system. Not endorsing this system. A doulos is more than a servant. It's not a butler. It's someone who's who has who belongs to their master. Yes, there they you know the, there were bad sides to this. They yes. were considered property. They were um, they were considered not free people. Um, a child born to a a woman who was a doulos would then also become a doulos, and usually, probably not their entire life. They would have it would be free. But this is not a good system. We're not endorsing this, but it is a very very different system. Mm -hmm. So we have to we have to try and learn the historic context that the Bible is operating in. That's helpful. So we see the broad scope of a variety of different reasons why someone might become a doulos, um, whether, you know, in some, some cases, societies who are uh, taking over a new region, enslaving yes. them, or whether it's someone uh, uh, ha that's jobless, doesn't have means of income, and they themselves... There's a number of different categories. It's not racially uh, based. It's not because of, of the way a person looks or appears. 
And there was this mobility that happened in and out through that system. Yes. And it's not good. Uh, it's not really, we're not even really commenting on the, the, the goodness of it. Yeah. Um, it's more that this is what we're working with when right. we come to the Bible and we come to it. So this is the situation that it is speaking, that the Bible is speaking into. So then the question is, how does the Bible, you know, to go back to the example of polygamy, one of the ways the Bible critiques that practice is by narrating and demonstrating how much of a disaster it causes yes. in a family. And also there's explicit texts that say things like a man shall leave his wife and they become one flesh, you know, <laughs> well, or leave his parents, not his wife. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> a man shall leave. Cause his I don't know that. <laughs> no, that, one, that one wouldn't work. <laughs> so leave his mother and father and two will become one flesh. Yes. Yeah. With his wife. Oh, uh, that's very good. That's very good. Um, so, you know, there, there's places where the Bible speaks against that. So where does the Bible engage with this topic of doulos? Where does this pop up in right. scripture in the New Testament? Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, of course, we talked about again, um, there's a very evil, wicked, dark side to any form of slavery. And the Bible talks a lot about the categories of oppression and freedom. And it speaks about the evils of oppression. And it speaks about the evils of systems and calling rulers throughout the prophets to bear about having right. speaking. So Bible's very clear about the evils of oppression and talks about freedom and how Christ gives us freedom. And, but it does, it was such a common thing throughout the Roman empire. The people that carried this title of, again, all through the different economic and social brackets that carried the title doulos, that it does appear in the very practical texts of scripture. So, for example, um, Paul, he sends uh, Onesimus back to Philemon. And, and if I remember correctly, Onesimus becomes a believer yes. through Paul, presumably. Yes. Um, so he, he wasn't a Christian. Yes. Uh, at least that's what we're led to believe. He yes. became a Christian. Yes. And was very helpful to Paul. And now yes. Paul is sending him back yes. to Philemon, who yes. is also a Christian. Exactly. And and Paul has already, has already in other places like in Ephesians talked about this relationship and in Galatians and the the overarching message that Paul is making to those who are a douloi and those who are the master of a household with douloi. Um, he's saying you are one in Christ. You have the same value you have the same acceptance, you have the same love that you have for Christ, and so show that mutual love and respect for each other. And so, and treat each other with that respect. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that respect should go both ways. And to our modern ears, that sounds like he's justifying uh, the slavery like the transatlantic slavery. He's not. He's not speaking into that pure, wicked system. He's speaking into a very nuanced system He's, that is very broad, looks very, very different, that um, it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, comment like the Bible does. Hey, if this is the system, if it's man-stealing and selling people, um, and treating them with right. that type of brutality. Yes, there is a one-size-fits-all comment. That is a capital offense. Exodus has already laid that groundwork. But in the much more nuanced system of the doulos, it is not necessarily a one-size-fits-all. So the, the comment then, in the way that Paul approaches it, is understand your value and your mm -hmm. worth. So he's, he's cutting out the dehumanizing part of it. He's saying you are both of 
utmost value children of God, whichever function you're in, and to treat each other like that. And so you see him not only in practice with how he instructs, and you can go back and read how he instructs Philemon to treat Onesimus as he's returning, the fact that how he how he coaches both Onesimus and Philemon to treat yeah. each other, and um, by how he descri- how he teaches um um, a doulos a doulos and a and a, a master in the in Ephesians six how to treat each other with mutual respect, so he he's he's speaking into a much more nuanced system, and we should expect the Bible to speak differently into that system yeah. than the system we think of. Yeah, I I have here like the language Paul uses to describe Onesimus this um, doulos. He says about Onesimus, I am sending him back to you, Philemon, sending my very heart. Um, he says, for this is perhaps why Onesimus was parted for you from a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but no longer as a doulos, but more than a doulos, as a beloved brother. Um, so he's describing yes. here that his desire is for Philemon to receive Onesimus back as a beloved brother. Right. Um, and so the picture here is 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 quite beautiful. And I even think of the the table fellowship of the early church mm. set apart from you know, the rest of the society where you would have partaking of communion at at the same table, the poor, the wealthy, the slave, the free, you know, all together at the same 